at the end of it, they're just like, wow, we've just had one of the most amazing meals and this has been an amazing time and to be able to be so connected to, you know, the person that's cooking it um, and, you know, hearing their stories and, yeah, so that is pretty special. And I think I've kind of always wanted to do something like that when it came to food. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. A career in food can lead you in all sorts of directions, many that are unexpected. But once you've found the skills and experience, the world really is your oyster in regard to the way you celebrate and share food professionally. Imogen Cholosky is the co-owner of Off-Piste Four-Wheel Drive Tours and Culinary Director of Africola, an Africola canteen in South Australia. Imogen, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you, Huck? Good. It's great to get you on the show. You uh, have, a, have a fascinating sort of multifaceted career at the moment. Um, tell us a bit about what you're doing. Yeah, so it's taken um, a few different uh, turns of recent, I guess, um, like everyone else, it's probably COVID has a lot to do with that, um, but it's been really good for me. Um, so, yeah, I basically I've jumped oh, after taking a bit of a hiatus to Western Australia for nine months and living in a rooftop tent with my partner. Um, <laughs> yeah, which was pretty, pretty interesting time. He's a six foot six foot two guy. So that was, uh, yeah, pretty tight. Um, <laughs> but we sort of just put our heads together, you know, tour guide, chef, and it just made a lot of sense to sort of jump more bo- on board with uh, off-piste tours. So we run through the Fleurier Peninsula. Uh, we do these sort of intimate lunches down at the Homestead, beautiful 19th century, yeah, butter factory, which is really cool. It doesn't make butter anymore, but I'd love to get it going. Wow. What, tell, tell us a bit more about what it takes to do this and what you're doing. Um, look, it's a huge effort. Ben's had this um, tour for 10 years now, coming up to 10 years. And um, uh, look, it's, yeah, it's, it's, pretty, um, it's pretty big. Uh, the, this is the family home that we're currently in, the old butter factory. And so we've just taken it to doing intimate lunches for the tours. Um, we've got an amazing uh, kitchen garden as well we've got access to. So in some ways just kind of living this idealistic lifestyle for a chef, you know, going to the garden. It's all very, you know, all very lovely, picking exactly what you want. Um, But it's really authentic because it's actually what we do day to day anyway. Um, And we're just showcasing that to people and it's, you know, it's going down a treat. People are really loving it. Um, So, yeah, it's just basically I cook whatever I want to cook on the day. Um, We can range from getting groups up to 20 to, you know, you know, private tours for two or four people. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's been quite an adventure. Um, but I, uh, I, after doing that, sort of after COVID and sort of getting back onto the um, scheme of things again, I yeah, I think I need to sort of dip my toe back into the in the restaurant scene as well. So that's where I've sort of jumped on board with Africola and Africola Canteen as their culinary director. And, yeah, so I've got the best of both worlds sort of doing that and doing the tours as well. I want to talk a bit about Africola in a, in a second, but um, tell, tell us about the sort of meals that you're cooking um, with the off-piste four-wheel drive tours. Uh, and is it, is it quite different to sort of what you have done in restaurants in the past? 
Uh, look, it is definitely. Like it's um, when I say it's, I don't want to use the word home cooked because it's probably slight. I'd like to think it's a bit more upmarket than home cooked. Um, but the sort of cuisine is very sort of Mediterranean, Middle Eastern flavors. Um, that's the kind of food that I like to cook and like eating as well. And we're pretty lucky in this area because we've just got so many amazing local producers um, that I've formed relationships. I'm from this area originally. So I've formed these relationships over years. You know, I did my apprenticeship at Fino Wollonga. Um, so this has been, yeah, I've had these relationships for a while. So it's been good to reconnect and, um, yeah, and really showcase these products. You know, we've got people coming, whether it's interstate or internationally. And I guess what we wanted to sort of portray is like those old trips you might have gone you know to Tuscany and you go to the family home and they cook for you and it's all really you know it's just really intimate and you know you meet the families you know Ben's mum comes out as well you know she's 75 and she's you know of that era of like proper entertainment (laughs) so you know she loves it too and yeah we're we're just super lucky to have it. Tell us a little bit about the role with Africola I know that you um, were involved with Africola previously and you've come back with a different role here now what's what's different about your role yeah so um yeah I was the head chef there for about five years um pre-covid and this role has kind of it's always been in the making I think once they opened up their second place Africola canteen it was just more of how we how we can structure it um so I guess you know like I work one-on-one with our head chefs um uh, sort of creative direction of how we want to see these businesses. It's it's very different to what I was doing because I was, you know, I guess a bit more in the grind, you'd say, you know, doing those services and and managing more of the team. I let the head chefs just do that. They can take care of all that work. Um, but it's it's been great because I'm working with them with menu development, working with Duncan. It's kind of somewhat this middleman between it all. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, – yeah, it's great to sort of get back into it. It's, it's kind of how I wanted to get back into working with Africola. It's um, it's always been a great business. And, uh, yeah, I've always, yeah, I think the team's been number one. They've always done a fantastic job. So it's nice to be sort of, I guess, back home, as you could say. How different is uh, the original Africola to the canteen? Uh, yeah, quite different. So canteen's more of a lunchtime spot um, and it's sort of more based on, uh, I guess oh, I say healthy eating, more salads. Um, we do do proteins there as well, but this is like a, a dip in, dip out place. You know, you'll you'll go in there and um, you know it's you grab some great lunch and takeaways and yeah, it's just that that sort of format as opposed to Africola, which is you know um, a destination uh, restaurant to go to and you know potential you know a special moment or special occasion. We've, we've had Duncan Felgamut on the uh, podcast before. You've worked with him for a long time. What's, what's he like to work with? Uh, yeah, no, he's good. <laughs> um, I've known him, yeah, I've known him for a very long time now. Um, and look, working with him, he's actually fantastic to work with. I will say that. Like, it's been a very interesting journey. When I first started at Africola, it's quite a funny story, um, I wasn't really – it was actually my first head chef role and I wasn't I wasn't sure if I was really ready for that role. And Africola was such a big, exciting place, you know, when it first opened and, you know, talk of the town and all that kind of stuff. And 
Um, I wasn't sure if I was ready to take those reins, especially because obviously Duncan's got his name and, you know, that's how everyone knew it. And when I had that conversation with him, he was like, great, cool, you know, we'll start you off slow, you know, sous chef or whatever. And um, he wanted me in that head chef role. But I think the first day or first week that I worked there, he had asked me to do a dish um, for this uh, publication and, um, you know, I was like, yeah, cool. So I worked on this dish, did it, they came in, they took photographs, all that kind of stuff. And the next day it came out and it was like, Africola's new head chef. <laughs> the dish on that. And I was I was pretty, like, at the time I was, like, taken back, but I was actually pretty pissed off as well because <laughs> I was just like, great, okay. And he's like, oh, well, I guess I guess you're the head chef now. And just it's a, so it's very much, um, yeah, a throwing, throwing to the deep end um, with it. But. I, I really thank him for that moment because I think he probably saw a lot of confidence in there hidden away somewhere that I just didn't have at the time and I just needed that. I needed someone to throw me in the deep end and, yeah, and then from that point it was just go, go, go. So, um, and but we had a lot of fun, you know, we had a lot of fun. I, I think I reflect a lot about that time um, working there as head chef and those, those five years were very um, – I think they were very important for me. And yeah, I, yeah, it's just, it was a wild place. How did, how did it work? You know, Duncan sort of built a name for himself as a chef and how did it work with dish creation when you were in the role as head chef? Yeah. So, um, basically we would kind of work together on things. Um, he might come up with some sort of wacky idea and then I would sort of format that onto a plate and just like literally, you know, take that idea and go, okay, how can we produce this in our kitchen? Cause you know, you, you're working to exactly what your environment is. So that can be completely different. Um, so yeah, that's how it worked between it. Um, towards the end, I think it was more the fact of just once I got that confidence and sort of ran ran the kitchen as I wanted, it was definitely um, yeah, definitely more more on the side of I just create something and he'd be like, yeah, great, cool, let's run with that or you know, and the team and the team helped out with that too, you know. Um, Mm. I want to explore the new role that you have uh, a little bit later and some yarns on the uh, expeditions that you take people on as well. Uh, but um, take us back to when you were young. What, what sort of role did food play for you growing up? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a little shout out to my mum on this one. She probably doesn't get enough, <laughs> enough credit in here because she was like, I think when I think about my earliest memories of food, it has to come back down to my parents. Um uh, my mother's Dutch, father's Polish, and they were really like a true reflection, I think, on um, the wartime with their parents um, in some sense, you know, rationing and things like that. They was, you know, moved to Australia when they were pretty young but really lived this sort of European background. Um, I have pretty strong memories of being young and going to my dad's mother's place, my Alma. You know, and she would have, you know, open the fridge and have a whole pig's head in there and, um, you know, a, yeah, a lemon cut in half with a muslin cloth and like dipped into salt to preserve it because, you know, she'd only used half a lemon or something, you know. And to me, I just think like, I think at the time I was like, wow, it's pretty wacky. But we would eat everything and anything. It just, um, you know, we weren't fussy kids. But I think about those really prominent food moments for me. 
And also on my mother's side, like for her, food was so important. And I just remember like dinner time for us, 6 p.m. every single night. I had three older brothers. So (laughs) we just obviously have sibling rivalry all the time during the day. You know, we were like, you know, just terrible kids, like any normal kids, I guess. But um, I just, I was always amazed at 6 p.m. after all these arguments and, you know, throwing shit at each other and whatever, (laughs) trying to kill one another. Um, At 6 p.m. on the dot, mum would, you know, produce dinner. And she was a humble cook. She was a very good cook. Um, But then it would just be silence, you know. And then slowly everyone just forget about, whatever we were arguing about and food became the focus so when I was younger and I saw that I thought that was that was a really special skill that my mum had I used to think I was like wow only mum can do that that's an amazing skill and so for me food was just you know it was it was in our lives embedded in our lives um each weekend we'd go to each of the grandparents and we'd just eat that's all we would ever do so yeah I think from that point I knew I had to have some kind of connection with it uh, through the industry. And then when I started working in kitchens, the chaos of the kitchen, I think I was really comfortable with it, chaos of my own family. So, yeah, it just felt like the right decision. Is, is, there, a, is there a dish that you remember from when you were young within the family that uh, you can tell us about? Um, probably I'd have to say on my dad's side, so my Alma. So she'd have a pot of lard on her old aga. She lived in Henley Beach. This pot of lard it didn't move. Like it just, <laughs> it just literally stayed on that stovetop, cooled down, reboiled, cooled. That's probably why we've got stomach uh, iron stomachs. <laughs> she would do these schnitzels, pork schnitzels, on the bone in this lard, like fry in this lard. And to this day, I still have never tried a schnitzel that tastes like that. And I don't know because your kid memories are just so, you know, when you're young, it's just, it's so, like everything's embodied into it. And But it is the one thing that I really, I strongly remember to this day. Um, Yeah, and I think for my um, mum's side, you know, yeah, she's like, yeah, she's a pretty humble. I think she tried to move into sort of a lot of normalised Australian cuisine for us. I mean, the Dutch cuisine's not super exciting, but um, yeah, I think just <laughs> to be honest, this is going to sound so naff. It's a spaghetti bolognese as a kid, and I don't think she did it as a classic Italian <laughs> style either. <laughs> there was something about it that just, yeah, I loved. When did you sort of first start to think about a career in hospitality and where did you get your foot in the door? Um, I was pretty young. So I was 16 and I started working in kitchens as a dishy um, and I didn't hate it. I loved it. You know, most people when they say I'm working a dishy job, they hated it. But I ended up working for this really crazy guy, this Italian guy at this funny little restaurant in Port Nalunga. It used to be called the Casbah. It used to be great in its day. I don't even know what it is now, but... Yeah, I was. I think sixteen and seventeen. I was there, and I, yeah, and it was just a. He was an absolute crazy person. Like, just he'd come from Sydney. It just all pumped up, and but it was. Um, yeah, that was my introduction. It was pretty brutal. It was a. Um, yeah, uh, it was a brutal time. But I still. I guess I still stuck around, and there was something about it that I loved. Um, that sort of ended because it got a little bit too crazy, and I ended up. Uh, work doing my apprenticeship with David Swain and Sharon Romeo from Fino 
And that was really, yeah, that's really where I, I kind of kick-started everything because David is just like one of the most humble chefs I've ever met in my life. And he taught me so much about just the key ingredient and doing, I guess, a minimal amount to it and just letting that ingredient talk for itself, which you don't always get when you're an apprentice an apprentice you know you don't really see that as a young chef you get get all these kind of I guess really shitty jobs or you're peeling a billion onions or whatever but you just he was a very good teacher still is a very good teacher and so that was a really fantastic opportunity I did my four years there I um and they were very nurturing um and then I just did what every young chef does and goes to London um. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get, before we get to London, like David Swain and and uh, Sharon Romero, they're they're royalty for hospitality in South Australia. Like they've just done so much for the industry there. Do you have any stories of what it's like actually working with both of them? Yeah. Um- they are. You're right. They are like royalty, and you know what? They're they're kind of polar opposite of each other too. If you um, yeah get to know them, they're quite funny. The um, Sharon, who's just this tiny little Italian go getter, pocket rocket, we call her. Um, <laughs> so yeah, seeing that side of it was pretty pretty amazing. Um, look, I think yeah, the stories. I mean that yeah, he's just so humble, and the way he sort of the way his cooking methods are too. I think. I don't think I'll ever be able to, I don't know if I'll be able to work with someone like that again. You know, it was a pretty amazing time. But And I was pretty ruffled when I when I came there. I think I was 18 when I worked, started working with them because I had just come from this really brutal kitchen where there was a lot of swearing and there was everything and all this. And so when I came into that kitchen, I thought, you know, that is all kitchens. That was my first introduction. So when I was like that in myself, I could see it in David's face. He was just like, okay, you need to calm down. <laughs> just take it down a notch. This is not one of those kitchens. So, it took me a while to adjust, you know, um, through that. But yeah. It- <laughs> After the experience with David in that in that kitchen, like was, was England a bit of a shock for you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, definitely. And I, he warned me about that. Too. <laughs> He's like, it's going to be a rude shock for you. Um, but it was everything. It was like baptism of fire. You know, you had to do it. And I think, I don't know if really younger chefs are doing it anymore in that sense. They probably don't need to do it. At that time, it was 2009, you know, it was, it was just the thing to do. And you, you had to, you felt like you had to get brutalized to be able to even, you know, be in any kitchen. So, yeah, it was a tough time. It was a tough time being a woman, being in those kitchens too. Like that was still very prevalent. Um, you know, you didn't get treated the best. Where did you work overseas and um, what were the real sort of highlight moments for you? Yeah, so I, I basically went over there because I did a stage at Noma and that was really what I went over for. And I did that for about a month and that was, you know, really amazing experience. Um, it's I actually ended up spending uh, – Christmas with Renee Redzepi out of that, which was, <laughs> yeah, we had this moment. It was like Saturday night, you know, working till God knows whatever, 2 a.m. or something. And we were closing for the Christmas period and I was going to hang around for Christmas and then head back to London. Um, but I didn't have any family there. I mean, you know, I met some people and, and all that. But uh, I remember Renee saying, has uh, anyone, you know, got any family or don't have any family that they're going to and I think at the time everyone thought he was going to ask them to work or do some kind of work through the Christmas period 
So no one sort of put their hand up. And I thought, oh, God, I don't care if I have to work or whatever extra hours I've got to put in them as well. And I put my hand up and he's like, great, do you want to spend Christmas with me and my family? And I was like, uh, yeah, 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 <laughs> I think I do want to do that. And then a couple of hands went up and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we want to spend Christmas with you. And he's like, no, no, blah, no, you've got a family. I've met your family. <laughs> Go to your own family. Um, so that was a pretty amazing experience. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't think too many people can tell a story like that. So, yeah, there I was pretty young and influential sitting in his um, apartment with his, yeah, with his young family and eating just this most amazing Christmas dinner. It was wild. Um, yeah, yeah, goose, yeah, the whole lot. It was just incredible. So, yeah, from there I um, yeah, went to, back to London and I ended up working for uh, Russell Norman who owns Polpo and Polpetto and Spuntino, a bunch of sort of Venetian-style bars in Soho, uh, which was really cool. They actually remind me a lot of Africola in some sense. Yeah, they've got a similar, I guess, on that side, similar style of food. Um, you know, it was fast, it was it was heavy, it was loud, it was crazy. The people that worked, they're all tatted up, all misfits, you know. They didn't open the doors till, you know, exactly 6 p.m. So, you'd have these big lineups on the street and it was no bookings. Um, so, that was really, I actually really loved working there, worked with some really good crew um, and we just had a you know, as you can imagine, just working in these kind of bars in London, just had an absolute blast. Um, and then, yeah, so from there I um, ended up working at uh, Heston Blumenthal's uh, dinner, which he had just opened in Knightsbridge. Um, so it was a very, <laughs> very different, yeah, juxtaposition of, yeah, change. Yeah, like I, I could, I could imagine the the science behind sort of everything that Heston does compared to some of the kitchens you'd been in. Uh, do you have any stories of sort of how different it was? Uh, yeah, it was like yes, yeah, vastly different. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I don't know what I was thinking. You know, going from one place to another place to another place, like just, yeah, some kind of I don't know suicide, but. <laughs> Um, I always, I think when I was going over to London, I always thought, you know, Michelin, 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 got to work in Michelin restaurants. Like that's the whole point, got to do it. And I got my foot in the door with um, with dinner, which was pretty exciting in itself because they weren't taking on, pe- unless you had like a serious background, they weren't really taking on new people. And I got, they saw that I'd worked at Noma and I had a good reference letter and that was perfect. Um but when I did my interview and I was like, oh, I think I want to be a pastry chef, you know, as most, you know, women feel like they need to go into that area. But I actually did want to. And I, was, I said to them in my interview, I was like, yeah, yeah, I really want to do the pastry section. And they're like, yeah, no, nah, that's not going to happen. You got to do a year in every section minimum before you can even look at the pastry section. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, yeah, cool. I'll do that. I'm, yeah, I can do that. That's fine. Um, <laughs> probably lasted about seven months there. Um, but it was just so intense. I, it was a total different cooking system. Like, you know, it, every, all the appliances that I used were com- like almost completely different. I was just, I was kind of, I think I was a little bit blindsided by it all and it was competitive. Like it was, I talk about tough kitchens. That's definitely the toughest I think I've been in. I've met some really great crew there, but yeah, there was some chefs that are just poor anyway. Um, but yeah, and again, it was just being a female in those kitchens. I think there was roughly about 30 chefs and maybe three females and probably two, the other two were in uh, pastry. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's a it was a pretty wild place. But um, uh, yeah, I had this sort of <laughs> great story. The the head pastry chef there, a guy called Daniel Svensson, who's um, super talented and amazing. And I think he was pretty much like God in that kitchen. Um, he, yeah, he was the head chef and of pastry and it was a separate kitchen to the rest and basically um, they just didn't really talk to any of the other chefs. It, it felt like a separate kitchen. Yeah, and uh, I used to being, you know, young and Australian and just that sort of scallywag approach, used to always <laughs> walk past his kitchen and be like, oh, hey, yeah, that's a really nice quenelle. Oh, yeah, what's that you're cooking over there? And he used to just tell me, like, fuck off, move along. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, yes, yeah, chef, and then just keep walking. And then the next day come back and do the exact same thing. I think I did this for, like, quite a long time before he even gave me the time of day. But one day he just looked at me and he's like, what are you doing on the weekend? Because we'd have, like, we'd work, uh, was it, like, 14 days in a row or something silly and then have three days off. Um, <laughs> that was just insane. And he's like, what are you doing on the weekend? I was like, oh, like nothing, you know. And he's like, cool, do you want to come to uh, – do you want to come to Sweden with me and uh, visit my family in Vastavik? And I was like, what? And I thought it was a joke. And I was like, you serious? So, yeah, we'd been out a couple of nights before. He's a bit of a wild man. And, yeah, I ended up going to Sweden and uh, spending some time with him in Vastavik in this beautiful countryside town and, like, picking blueberries and, like, fishing. Yeah, it was just – it was stupid. I can't, I can't even make it up. It was so- <laughs> So, yeah, I definitely had – there were some amazing experiences that came out of these really high-profile restaurants that were intense um, and you needed them. You needed those experiences because, you, you know, otherwise, yeah, you'd just end up hating it so much. But mm. What was it like for you when you came back to Australia? Uh, yeah, it was pretty interesting. I think I came back on the – on the pretense that I would immediately move to either Sydney or Melbourne, you know, because that's the food scenes. And I think when I got back, that was my that was my initial plan. And I just sort of, you know, came back saving a bit of money. Um, but then Adelaide, SA was really changing around that time. Um, small bar license kind of changed everything here in the food scene. And we started seeing a lot of new interesting restaurants open up. And I thought to myself, it's probably good to sort of stick around, you know, and plus I could afford being here than what I could in Sydney or Melbourne. And I just wasn't sure if I was really ready to go back into that lifestyle of just working my ass off again. Um, because there was one thing in London that I really missed is the idea of just being able to go to a really beautiful beach down the road. I'm very lucky that I've got that and everyone's got that, but I just missed all this kind of connection I had with food. I didn't have that over there. It was really, I felt like it was quite a disconnect. Um, I felt like I was just working the grind as opposed to, yeah, really doing anything, you know, amazing. Um, it was very important that I did that early on. Um, but I just, yeah, I wasn't ready. I wasn't in the mindset to just go and do that in Melbourne or Sydney. So I stuck around, um, SA and I actually ended up working, um, back with Sharon and David when they opened up Seppeldsfield. And, um, I worked with them again over there and which was great. It's always good to work at a restaurant that is just opening up. It's kind of an exciting time. Um, cause no one really knows what they're doing, but you're kind of all into it together. Um, 
yeah, and it was great. But that's when I got, um, yeah, a couple of years of that and then, uh, yeah, then old Africola started. Duncan had been pestering me for a long time. <laughs> well, as we mentioned at the top of the uh, show, you've got a new role there. Um, tell us a little bit about the role and, and dish creation. Is it is it a lot different to sort of when you had the pressures of being the head chef as well? Uh, yeah, because you just don't have the pressures of the everyday stuff really. Um, so you can really focus on that creative side. It's also um, a little bit more about um, – the development of the actual restaurant as well and where they want to take it. So, you know, following those guidelines, it's a little less about, oh, I've got this great idea, I want to put this dish on and more about, okay, what are our guidelines? Where are we sitting? Are we seeing food trends? How do we want to move this forward? So it's probably more about that now than what it was before um, being a head chef. Also, you've just got all those distractions of a head chef of your team and, you know, how they're going because I just remember when I was working there as a head chef, like one of the most important things I think was morale and making sure your team um, were feeling good and being able to do the job. Um, It's probably, yeah, the hardest part but also the most rewarding as well. Um, I think back on some of the, like we still have some of the same team there as well, which is great. Staff retention is really good there with Africola and Canteen but – you know, we think back at some of the moments that we all had and we can laugh about them now. I don't think we were laughing at the time. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Has, has, as you mentioned a bit earlier, the Africola was really on fire. Um, uh, has it changed, you know, a lot since, you know, pre-COVID to now? Is it a different restaurant and offering? Uh, yeah, I think, I think COVID probably changed a lot, I think, with most restaurants. Um we saw, I guess, a different way that people were eating, um, uh, you know, how they were dining, obviously, um, you know, saving pennies, you know, that was a huge thing as well, cost. Um, I th- now we are doing, I think bef- before COVID, it was, you know, you could have a la carte menu or a tasting menu and now it's just strictly a tasting menu so you know exactly how much people are spending when they walk into the restaurant, you know. So that's that's a big thing. Um, it's just a bit more security, I think, for the restaurant as well. And people are, you know, they're happy not to choose because um, that's just the way forward, I think, that's happening now with restaurants. But, um, yeah, I think that was probably been the biggest key factor of change um, and also just, I guess, chefs' lifestyles have changed, you know. COVID, although very bad and, um, for most people, I think in some sense for hospitality, it was a really good thing, you know. Something needed to give, something needed to change. And if it wasn't going to be COVID, I'm sure it would have been something else. But I think it just made people realise, okay, my time that is not in the restaurant is actually really important and I do need to focus on that. And that is one thing that I took away after when COVID had hit and I got stood down and I called my partner and, you know, the tourism industry was, you know, that was pretty much non-existent through COVID. Um, And we were just like, God, what are we going to do now? And I couldn't bear to think of sticking around for a couple of months in lockdown. Like for me, not doing anything was a scary thought because I'm just one of those people that need to be constantly distracted, (laughs) 
<laughs> doing something. So I called him up and I was like, great, let's, let's head off to uh, Western Australia. Let's pack the car. Let's just do it. And I said to Duncan, I'm like, I'm going to take a big break. And he's like, yeah, cool. Okay, you do that because that's probably a good idea for you. Because <laughs> they were so uncertain about when they could reopen or anything like that. And I think we were the last car that got into the um, the border of WA before it shut it down. Yeah, they had all these like had all these massive caravans, massive lineup, and we just had our four wheel drive with the rooftop on. And the guy sort of ushered us through, checked our fridges. Yep, can't take that, can't take that. I was like, oh, really? It's homegrown garlic. <laughs> and yeah, got through, and then they got the call and shut the border, and no one could come in. And yeah. You mentioned that you thought um, COVID offered um, positive, positive and change for the for the industry. What about for yourself? To have you have you changed in this period of time, and also your own role? Have you got a different perception of what you want to get out of the industry? Uh, yeah, I think I'd have to say I definitely have, have changed. Um, I think that trip has changed me quite a lot. I think, like I said earlier, um, just the value your your time is valued way more now I think people weren't doing that before chefs weren't doing that before um and I actually think owners too of understanding that as well um and so yeah I guess I guess for me and being a part of um off-piste business which is you know important that I have the flexibility that's kind of what I've really aimed at is just trying to have that flexibility of being able to still do the restaurant scene and still be in Africola and Canteen and be able to do the other business on the other side. So I think that's been the biggest change and that's how I really want to see my life. Hopefully I can keep going with it until the bubble bursts. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you're doing amazing things and so multidimensional as well at the moment. What, what do you love about what you do? Um. Yeah, I think I look. I love I love the the tours are great at the moment because just where we where we're living in a place called White's Valley, which is kind of between Aldinga and Mulunga, it's a really beautiful spot. And living on you know vineyards and having the the kitchen garden that we've got, um, which has been pretty amazing, and just being able to I don't know create whatever I really want to create and seeing people's reactions too, because um, sometimes I'm even like, oh, this feels pretty basic and normal and all that but at the end of it they're just like wow we've just had one of the most amazing meals and this has been an amazing time and to be able to be so connected to you know the person that's cooking it um and you know hearing their stories and yeah so that is pretty special and I think I've kind of always wanted to do something like that when it came to food um but I knew that I yeah, would miss, I guess, the element of restaurants, the chaos. I still need a bit of controlled chaos. So, yeah, I think it, this feels like for me at the moment the best of both worlds. Wow. Um, mm. Wow. It's amazing to hear what you're doing and an absolute honour to get you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a bit of your story. Um, look forward to seeing where you take Africola and Africola Canteen uh, moving forward and um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Huck. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast. 
or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.